Well, if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 4, once again, 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first six verses, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ and come of the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ and come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The title of the message this morning is, Overcoming the Spirit of Antichrist by Hearing. Overcoming the Spirit of Antichrist by Hearing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you again that we have a written record of you, of your person, your character, and thank you that we have this written record of how you deal with men. Thank you for the written record of the Savior who came, was born, became a man, laid aside his glory and became a man, and humbled himself even unto death, even the death of the cross. We thank you that we have a written record that he's highly exalted above every name. That every name, at every at him, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Father, we pray as we look into thy word today that we encourage us, strengthen us. We that are of God, may we be strengthened in the inner man by thy spirit. And may we discern what is truth and what is error. Lord, we pray that if there's any in our midst this morning who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, have not the spirit of truth indwelling them, I pray that the spirit of truth would convict them of their sin, their need of Him, their need of You as Lord and Savior. Have Your will and way. May You be glorified. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week as we started this chapter, we talked a little bit about how John the Apostle, of course, this is in the end of the first century, about the end of the first century that he's writing. And he says, basically what he's telling you, don't believe everything you hear. Test it. You're to test it. First Corinthians 2, I think it's verse 15, says, The spiritual man judgeth all things. A spiritual person, he examines everything that he hears. You, know, you just don't believe everything you hear in the news. For good reason. But, and you don't believe, you're not to believe just everything you hear in a church. Because not all churches are true. There are false churches. So we're going to see more of that this afternoon in the afternoon service. Of course, the Bible talks about the whore, which is the, whore, the, the harlot church. Um, no, we're not to believe it. And he's, this is already in, you know, this is as early as within the first century of 60 years after the, the death and resurrection of Christ, and John's already saying, don't, don't believe everything you hear. 
Because many false prophets are going out in the world. They're already in the world. They're already there. Preaching lies. You know, by the way, this really started to clear back in the Garden of Eden. When Satan came to Eve and said, Yea, hast God said. And then he said to her, Ye shall not surely die. You know, God said, The day you eat thereof, ye shall surely die. He added one word, not. And there you have a false spirit. This isn't anything new. Although I believe in our age it has proliferated much. And so he tells us how we can know spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth is, is those who understand who, uh, the person of Jesus Christ and the work they did. The person of Jesus Christ. It's not just Jesus. You know, a lot of people talk about Jesus. And then, but it's a different Jesus they're talking about. They're not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord and Christ are not really are more than just names. They're titles which speak of his person, who he really is. And so we looked at that last week, that he is the Christ. He is the anointed of God. He is God with us and Emmanuel. And he is the Lord. He's the master. Uh, he is Jehovah. And so that's how you tell the spirit of Antichrist if they deny the lordship of Christ. Jude 3 and 4 talks about that as well. So, and then he goes on here and tells us that we can overcome this spirit of Antichrist, which is already in the world, which is very prevalent in our world today, and we can overcome it if we just listen to the spirit of truth. So I want to notice three things, three main points. First of all, there's a declaration of our identity in verse 4. Ye are of God. That's an identity statement. Verse 6 says, We are of God. So John the writer includes himself when he says in verse 6, We are of God. The word are is a verb. It's an action word. It's an indicative mood. And it's, it's used to make a dec, decla, uh, uh, declarative statement. Uh, that you assume that something is factually accurate. So this is a statement John is making and says, look, this is a fact. Ye are of God. You are God's. You're God's people. You're not the world's people. You're God's people. This is, a, this is an identity statement, a declaration of, of, of their identity and a declaration of our identity if we, are, if we know Christ is Lord or Savior. And, and, you know, Jesus used these kind of things in Matthew 5 and verses 13 and 14. He says, ye are, and here's another declarative statement, ye are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. So it was these people that Jesus spoke to, these words, to after his resurrection and, and the empowering of the Spirit of God that took the gospel to the regions beyond, beyond the land of Israel, you know, they, he said, you're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to be the light of the world. You're going to take the gospel into all the world. They did. He said, ye are. And so when he says, ye are of God, we are his witnesses of God, we are his ambassadors who are to continue the work of the gospel that he began. Ye are of God. And it is God that gives us our identity. 
You know, Lyndon Andrews sang, only by his grace. You know, everything we have is by the grace of God. Salvation is by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. Paul said that by the grace of God I am what I am, so all the credit for his service to the Lord and his faithfulness and his declaring the gospel and, 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 and penning scripture, uh, God used him to, to pen for us the, the words of God. He said, he, Paul said all that's by the grace of God. And it's God that gives us our identity. He said, ye are of God. You know, it is of God. In fact, in 1 John 3, and verse 1, he says, Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So God bestowed this upon us, this calling sons of God, daughters of God. You know, you can't make yourself a son of God. You can't make yourself a child of God. No matter how hard you try. You can't even make yourself a human being. You didn't make yourself a human being. You were conceived through a natural generation, regenerate, uh, generation uh, of, of your father and mother, and, and you know, a child is born. And we are born into the family of God by the power of God. Look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's our Savior. He's the one that saves us from our sins. And that's what the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, for he shall save his people from their sins. See, He is our Savior. We can't save ourselves. We can't give ourselves the life of God. We are given the life of God, which is eternal, when we are convinced of the truth by the Spirit of God, and we repent, and that is, we change our mind about ourselves, and we put our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified, being justified, that means you were justified by an out outside source or an outside power. You're not justified by yourself. You're, you were justified by an outside source. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is something that's done for us. We're declared righteous. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So that being uncondemned comes with being in Christ. You know, Colossians 1.12, the Bible says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers. That word meet there means, has the idea of being fit. So he hath made us fit or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He hath made us. Colossians 3.4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him. You know, Ephesians 2, the, 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 you know, 
declares this very plainly in Ephesians 2, in verses 1 through 10, where it says, And you hath he quickened, so he gives us life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Your dead people can't give themselves life. But God, God is the source of life. He has power, the keys of death and of hell. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we are naturally, or what we were naturally by birth, is we were children of wrath, we were children of disobedience, and we're all that way. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, they are such a good child. Well, every good child has a streak of the devil in them. And they got it from their parents. Got it from their parents. Because we pass on that sin nature. No, we were all by... And if a child left himself... Proverbs says, bringeth his mother, what? Shame. If you leave a child to themselves, you wouldn't call it a child. You'd call it a brat. That's a child left to itself. No, that's, that's, that's what we all are by nature. That's our natural bent. We're naturally inclined to do, to sin, to satisfy our own lusts. But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Aren't you glad, glad that God loves sinners? Even when we were dead and trust sins and hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it is God that gives us this identity, our identity, as being of God, being the children of God. And so he says, ye are of God, little children. And then he says this, because... And have overcome them. I'm sorry. And have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the second thing we see here is, we see that our declaration of our identity, the second thing we see is the source of our ability to overcome. The source of our ability to overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, the word greater means larger, elder, or stronger. That's the idea. You see, Jesus Christ, and it speaks of Jesus Christ, or the Spirit of God, when he, when he died, he, he put down, or you might say the expression used in the Bible is, he put his feet on the neck of his enemies. He put his feet on the powers of hell when he rose from the dead. You know, Genesis 3.15 says that, that he would bruise his head. In other words, he would bruise the head of Satan. That speaks of a death blow. Satan would bruise his heel. Jesus is going to have to die to get the victory. 
But in rising from the dead, he defeated Satan once for all. He dealt him a death blow, a death sentence, uh, or a, a, a sentence of submission to. Uh, in John 16, 11, in John 16, 11, Jesus tells us that Satan is a judged foe. John 16, 11, he says this, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He's a judged foe. Romans 1, 4 declares Jesus Christ to be the, the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the Bible there tells us that he has power over all. Philippians 2, verse 9 says, Wherefore, because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, give him a name which is above every name. Now, when we say above every name, that means just what it says, every name. That means he's, he's above Lucifer, he's above Gabriel, he's above uh, all the angels, uh, he's above every man, woman, every person. He, his name is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he has been given power over all. And, and we are commanded to fight the good fight for our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King. He's the King of the universe. In fact, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 11 or verse 12 to 16. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 says this, Fight the good fight of faith, Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things. So God gives life to all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So we are commanded to fight the good fight in the power of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And our Savior and friend has not left us comfortless. Now, he's not here in person, in body. He told his disciples that he was going to leave them. But in John 14, John 14 now, I'm, I'm leading up to something here. John 14 and verse 16 through 18. He says, John 14, 16 through 18. And I will pray the Father. So he's, he's, he's already told him that he's going to leave them. He's going to be crucified. He's going to rise the third day. But, but he is going to leave them. 
And he says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, the word comfortless, the idea here is, what he's saying is, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without the presence, my presence with you. And that presence he's talking about is the Spirit of God. So he's not going to leave us as orphans or as it were without guidance like the absence of a guardian or the absence of parents. God doesn't do that to his own. And on the day of Pentecost, as the disciples were just still struggling with the absence of their Savior, the Spirit of God fell on them and empowered them for the preaching of the gospel. Their fears all of a sudden were overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because they had something greater in them than that was in the world. They had something that empowered them. See, God indwelled them. The Spirit of God indwelled them. He filled them. He led them. He empowered them. And now that fearful, afraid Peter, who before a maid denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, less than two months ago, now stands before all the Jews and the Pharisees that had Jesus put to death, and he, and he raises his voice in Acts chapter 2 and verses 46. He says he, it says he stands up and he lifted up his voice. You know what that means? He talked very loud. He wasn't ashamed to tell everybody, even his enemies. He wasn't afraid anymore. Why? Because that comforter that Jesus said he was going to send is now with them. And he's greater. He's God. You see, he's the presence of God that indwells every believer. He's greater. And he empowered them. And you notice what he says in Acts chapter four or Acts chapter two and verse fourteen. You know, this is a Think about this, you know, Peter, who was chicken little just less than two months ago, is now all of a sudden, you know, like a lion. Uh, Verse 14, he says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on mine handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In other words, they shall preach. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, 
ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And he goes on. He says, you're the ones that crucified him. You slain the, the one man approved of God. In verse 32 he says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, have received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. So we receive this promise of the Holy Ghost. He has shed forth this which ye see and hear. For David is not ascended into heavens, but he himself saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit in my right, thou in my right hand, until I make thy foes thine enemies. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about what you think about this Jesus Christ. He's both Lord and Christ. You see, they didn't want to believe that he was the Lord Christ. They refused to believe it. Instead, they tried to kill him. But you know, you can't kill God. What they didn't understand was this wasn't just a man. This was the God-man. They could kill his body, but they can't kill God. And that body came forth from the grave three days later. And you know, Peter and the other disciples, now some of the Pharisees here repented. Some of the Jews repented. And were added to the church that day, 3,000 souls. But as you continue through the book of Acts, you know what? They, there were some that tried to scare the gospel out of them with threats. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. It says, But that it spread no further. Here's the Sanhedrin talking to Peter and John. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And here's Peter, who was chicken little two months ago, and again says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God, you be judged. And you know, all of a sudden, Peter doesn't have a scared bone in his body. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, the source of our ability to, to live faithfully, to declare the gospel, is not in us. It's in the Spirit of God that dwells in us. If we know Christ as the Lord and Savior. You know, they even tried to drive it out of them with beating. Chapter 5, verse 40. It says, And to him they agreed, this is Gamaliel, they agreed to him, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. They were kind of worthy to suffer shame for his name. I mean, these are odd guys now. This just isn't normal. You see, when God gets in your heart, you won't be the same. When God dwells in you, you won't be the same. You see, they could not subdue these men anymore because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God who indwells us, when we, when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God takes up residence in us, uh, by, uh, God takes up residence in us by His Spirit, and He's greater than anything that's in the world. He has a greater power. In your hymn book, that great hymn, I'm not a fan of Martin Luther, but he wrote a very great hymn. And that great hymn he wrote in verse, the second stanza says, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. See, Christ dwells in our hearts by his spirit, through his spirit that he said he would send in our name. The source of our ability is he that is in us. And he is greater than he that is in the world. The he that is in the world is Satan, the devil. You see, those, that Sanhedrin was full of the devil. They were children of the devil. In fact, Jesus told him in John 8, 4, 8, 44, you are of your father the devil. The world's father is the devil. But greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. And then thirdly, we see the cause of our continuity or our continuing. Verses 5 and 6. They are of the world. So he makes a contrast here about the unsaved and, and the saved. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now if we are going to continue in our walk and fellowship and our usefulness of God, you know, seeing him work in our lives for the furtherance of his kingdom, we have to hear. Now, the word hearing here means to give ear to one, to listen, to hearken, to yield to, to obey. Do you ever say to one of your kids, you just didn't listen to what I said? Now, they heard it. You know they heard it. But, it, you know, we all had this saying at home. Yeah, and it went, it went in one ear and went right out the other. No, that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about hearing it and doing it. Notice what he says again. We're of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. In other words, they, they hearken. They, they yield to. Heareth us. 
He that is not of God heareth not us. You know, I have said for a long time that I believe that God's people will receive the truth. But when a person uh, uh, resents the truth and will not respond to the truth, they can say they're Christian, but the, the, the conclusion I come to is they're without spirit. They're without true faith because they will not hear the word of God. John says, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. And that word again means to hearken. Um, Peter, in fact, in Acts 4.19, here's the way it's used. It's, it's translated in Acts 4.19 as hearken. It says, Peter and John answered and said unto them, we just read this a minute ago, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. So we must be hearers of the word, and this is to be continual. This, is, this speaks of a continuous action. Uh, we can't come to the place in our lives where we all of a sudden believe, you know, we have arrived and we've learned all there is to learn and, and uh, we've been perfected to perfection and, you know, we're just there. Sorry about the rest of you, but I'm just there, you know. No. No, we continue to hear. It's heareth us. The idea is that we continue to hear God's word. You know, we never exhaust the truth of God's word. We'll never learn it all. I mean, I think I understand a lot more than I used to, but there's still a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. I work at it, understanding it all. But I don't understand it all. It's God's Word. It's a little difficult for me, this puny, you know, finite human being with a mind that they say uses, with a what, you know, human being they say uses less than what, I believe what, Less than 10% of the brain power. And, you know, for, for my mind to comprehend God. It's a little difficult. Maybe, maybe you can do better than that. But anyway, you know, Jesus said in John eight thirty one, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. In uh, 1 Timothy 4, you know, Paul talks about this. This idea in other places, many other places in the Bible, the Bible talks reference to this in other writers and other books. First Timothy four sixteen, Paul told Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, if we don't continue in the word, we're gonna stagnate. We're gonna kinda die. You know, if a plant doesn't continue to take nutrients from the soil, what happens to it? It dies. It dies. Uh, you know, we planted some, we, my wife and I planted some broccoli and cabbage in our garden, and she planted a kale plant down at the end of it. I mean, the broccoli and the, the cabbage looks great. I mean, it's about that big. You know, we're about to get some broccoli. The kale plant just kind of started to curl up. It's dead. I don't know why. We don't know why. We planted it the same way we did all the rest. Maybe something about it. I don't know what. But evidently it didn't take nutrients out of the ground and it died. If we don't continue to, to nourish our bodies with the word of God, we're going to die spiritually. Titus two or not Titus Timothy Second Timothy two fifteen says study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth in 
2 Timothy 3. The antidote to the apostasy that Paul gave to Timothy was, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, know to whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, you need to continue in these things. Continue. And Peter, Peter is now a senior saint, First Peter, actually, actually Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 5. Peter's a senior saint. He's an old man. He's about ready to die. He's about ready to be crucified. It was believed he's crucified upside down. But he's about to give his life. And you know what he says? He says you need to add to your faith. Add. Add to your faith. And add with all diligence. You need to be diligent about it. That means you need to put forth some effort. Add to your faith. Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. You know, I have to keep reminding myself of truths, of things that I want to remember because this old brain of mine forgets. I know, it's an intellectual overload. You can believe that if you want to, but, you know, uh, I think it's other problems there. But anyway, you know, this, this, this brain of mine forgets. If I don't continually remind myself, it forgets. And that's what Peter, this whole book is about remembering. About five times in the book of Second Peter, again, Peter's an old man. He's about ready to pass off the scene. You know, he's about ready to give his life. And he said, look, I'm going to stir up your remembrance. I'm going to stir up your remembrance. You need to remember. You need... And, and, and he says it over and over again. In fact, look here in, in uh, verse uh, 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Verse 14, or 13. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle. Stir up you by putting you in remembrance. Verse 15. More I will endeavor that you may be after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. In chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, verse 2 he says, that you might, verse 1 says, yeah, I stir up your poor minds by way of remembrance that you might be mindful of the words of the, which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, there's going to be scoffers in the last day. You know what? You need to be reminded over and over again. Peter's saying, look, you need to remind yourself over and over again that the Lord is coming. That he keeps his promise. He is coming. Oh, there's going to be a lot of people who say, oh, you know, you've been saying that for 2,000 years. You know, we've heard that for 2,000 years that the Lord's coming someday, but we don't know when. But, you know, you have this, 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 this uh, a hope of escape from reality, you know, and you, you just have this crutch you're leaning on. No, 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 no. Everything the Word God says about the Lord in the past bore true. It happened. 
just as he said it would. And Peter's reminding us, look, there are going to be people who try and make you forget the promises of God. So you need to remind yourself of them. You need to be constantly hearing them. Acting upon them. Hearkening unto them. You know, you might sometimes get tired of hearing me say, you need to be in the Word of God. Meditating on His promises, but faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the, the last thing Peter warns us about in Second Peter, and this is his last will and testament that he would write, he warns us against being led astray with error. Now, the only way that God's people will be led astray with error is if they forget God's promises. If we forget the promises of God, we're going to be led into error. We'll be led into error. In 2 Peter 3, in verse 16, he says, As also in all his epistles, speaking about Paul, speaking them these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. In other words, these people don't give careful attention to the scripture. They don't add to their faith, virtue, and knowledge, and, and all these things. And so they're careless with the scriptures. They don't understand the scriptures. Therefore, they are unlearned, they're unstable, and they twist them. That word rest means to twist the scriptures or corrupt them. As they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So the last warning Peter gives, look, you need to remember the promises of God because you can be led astray if you don't. See, if we're going to continue in the faith, being used of God, We've got to continue to hear. We've got to continue to meditate upon and hearken to the words of God. And then he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. You know, if you want to walk with Jesus... How do you walk with Jesus when he's not here in person? Well, you know what the Bible, how it refers to Jesus? It refers to him as the word. So be a walking Bible. That's like walking with Jesus. Or it is walking with Jesus because he is the word. He's the word of life. John says in here in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of life. And so we need to walk in fellowship with the Lord, with his word. Continue in it. You know, in the Bible, many times you'll read of men doing great and mighty things. And it will say something like this. And he was filled, being filled with the Spirit. They did. In fact, look at the book of Acts. Just the book of Acts. I'm about finished. Acts chapter 4. And again, we're going to look at our example of Peter, 
who two months before was afraid and fearful and denied the Lord, and now all of a sudden, he's not afraid of anything. And it says in verse 8, Acts 4, 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So he's been arrested for preaching, and he's filled with the Spirit. In other words, he's led, he's controlled. Now, that's not some mystical feeling that he has. No, it's just he's yielded to the Spirit of God, and he's led by him. He, and really... Really, the reality is he's filled with the words of God. That's what it really means to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the words of God. And they're living out in him. It says he was filled with the Spirit. Uh, Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them. They'd been with Jesus. And uh, verse 20 says we cannot... Here's an interesting thing. And this is what he said. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and, what's the next word? Heard. You see, if you're going to continue, you've got to hear. Chapter 4, verse 31. says, and they, when they had prayed, this is all the disciples, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. They'd just been threatened and they're all speaking the word of God with boldness. They're not afraid. Death is staring them in the face and they're not afraid. Chapter 6, verse 5 says, In the saying pleased the whole multitude, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Um... Verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power. Where did the power come from? The Holy Ghost. Did great wonders and miracles among men. Verse 15, it says, And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Verse uh, chapter 11, verse 22 through 24. This is Barnabas, and it says, uh, chapter 11, verse 22, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which is at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. In chapter 13, you have the church at Antioch, along with Paul and the pastors, the pastoral staff, they're praying, seeking God's face. Verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. And the greatest missionary team that ever was sent out departed from Antioch and gave their lives for the gospel's sake. How? By the power of the Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in you. And he is the cause. And we need to hear. See, to be filled with the Holy Ghost simply means that we're filled with and led by the Word of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. 
So we're filled with and led by the Word of God. There's also, combined with that, of course, along with it, submission to God's authority, His Word, His church, His faithful churches. That is what the Bible calls hearing here in verses 5 and 6. We're to hear you know, or to hearken or to give heed to. You know, the world hears the Word. Those that are God's hear Him and His Word. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verses 12 and then verse 16, and this is what he said. Now we have received, we that are saved, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God gives to us what he wants us to know. He gives to us by his spirit, through his word. Verse 16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. And the Spirit of God reveals it to us as we yield ourselves to Him. You see, evidence of walking in truth is you hear and you give heed to the truth. And the Spirit of God always directs you according to His Word. You know, the question is, who is your heart tuned to? Who is the one you are concerned about? Concerned what they think when you are tempted to sin. Are you only concerned about what people think? Now, it's not wrong to be concerned about what people think. But I have to tell you, that's a very weak deterrent against sin. See, we need to be concerned. We ought to be concerned about what God thinks. And if we know Christ is our Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in us, and He will convict us. Watchman Nee was a missionary to China, and he had some funny ideas. But one story, I read his book, one of his books, and he told this story of how he went up in this mountain uh, to this man who lived in the mountains and lived alone, an older man. And... He witnessed to him, and the man made a profession. And some weeks or a few months passed, he went back to see the man. And he you know, talked to him about his relationship with the Lord. And the man said, told him this, that his custom was before every evening meal, he drank a, some liquor, you know, some kind of alcoholic beverage. But he said, he said, now, he said, boss resident said no. And what he meant by those, that the Spirit of God that dwelt within him, something within him, he didn't understand what it was, but the Spirit of God within him now, because he was saved, said, don't drink it. Don't drink it. You see, who are we concerned about? You know, again, people are weak deterrents. 
against our adversary devil. He's the adversary. You know, that's why Peter denied the Lord. Because at that time, Peter was worried about what that made and what that guy thought. He wasn't as concerned as what the Lord Jesus thought. He wasn't concerned that it was offense against God. He was concerned about offending his fellow man. And he fell. You see, it's greater as he is in you. And it, as, as John describes it here, is in fact in you. He sh- if he is in fact in you, he should be convincing you of sin. He should convince you of truth. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. The Spirit of God, if he is in you, will bear witness to the truth. In other words, he's going to convince you. He's going to convince you. He'll do it both negative and positive. He'll convince you that what you hear, if it's true, is true. And if what you hear is false, he's going to say, ah, beware, 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 red flags, this isn't true, something wrong here. Or if you're tempted to sin, he's going to say, hey, hey, no, 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 no. And you're going to have to quench him to carry it through. Because he dwells within you. Because he's greater than he that is in the world. And see, we can overcome the world. The temptations, the powers of hell itself, we can overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Ye are of God. If ye are of God, you will hear God's word. You'll hearken. Are you yielding? But you know, you have to yield. The secret is yielding. The secret is not, I just try harder. No, it's not our trying. It's our yielding that gives us the victory. 